Happy Sabbath. I'd like to take a moment to thank Donna. Thank you so much for your leadership and the whole team. Uh, Kirk, everybody, just an amazing uh, job. God's done so many amazing things and continues to through your work. And under uh, the blessing will continue even through future mission trips. So thank you for your leadership, the time, the energy, um, and even weathering injuries and trials and tribulations. So we praise God uh, for all of that. I pray you've had a blessed week. Can we, can we say God is good today? Amen. Let me say it a little louder. Is God good today? Yeah. Amen. God is good. You know, this week has been an amazing week in many ways. It's been a busy week, but I've seen God's goodness and his grace in so many ways, his working beyond what we can even imagine. I've seen him working in places that I did not expect. God is always working. He is always doing something. He is always accomplishing his purposes with or without us. He is always working. And sometimes we don't recognize it, but when we pray for God to show us, he shows us. But God is always good, even when we don't see it or understand it. I'd like to share with you a, a story, and you've probably heard the name before. Her name is Corey Tenboom, an interesting name, but she is an author, writer, uh, also a speaker, and a Holocaust survivor who had died back in the early 80s. But she is famous for the work she did in post-World War II Germany with coming back as a Holocaust survivor and preaching and sharing the good news of Jesus with the churches, with the people there of Germany. It was bombed out. People were discouraged. They were, they were just coming back to reality. And she comes and starts talking about things like forgiveness and reconciliation in this war-torn country. She tells the story of about 1947, just a couple years after she was freed from a concentration camp, and she nearly died, where she was preaching about the forgiveness of God. She was talking about how God takes our sins and casts them to the bottom of the sea. Can we say amen? Because he does. He forgets our sins. He chooses to forget. And she's sharing this with these individuals from Germany who are listening quietly, intently. And she says in the story after she was finished with her talk, with her sermon, that everybody just got up and just quietly walked out. She said during that time in Germany, there was not much emotion, there was not much happening as far as people engaging. They just got up, they listened, and they walked out. That was except for one individual in that room. There was a tall gentleman who started pushing through the crowd and made his way up to where Corey was speaking. And as, she got, as he got closer... She started to think, this man looks familiar. As he got closer, she recognized that he was a former Nazi guard in Ravensbrück, the, the concentration camp where she was and her sister. And he's approaching her, and so she's getting nervous. She is having all these feelings well up inside of her. What does he want? Not just that, but as, as he came up, she remembered that he was not just any guard, but one that was, that was particularly cruel, one that was particularly unkind to those there at the camp. He was brutal. And so it made it even worse. A side note, Corey's sister died there, a slow and horrible death. And so all these feelings were welling up, seeing this guard, seeing this person approaching her. And so he comes up to her, and he extends his hand. He says, he says Mrs. Tamboom, as she recognized him, 
He said a fine message for all in, which was a, a term in German. How good to know that as you say that all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. As his hands extended, he said, Fraulein, I'd like to hear from your lips as well because I was a guard there where you were at, that you forgive me. Man, can you imagine? Her sister basically dies at the hands of this guy and others, and she saw the cruelty he inflicted on others inside the camp, family and friends, all these individuals. And now he has his hand extended, looking her in the eyes and saying, I need to hear it from you. Will you forgive me? I believe God has, but will you? As Corey tells the story, she says at that point, she says, I could not. She just stood there and said, I could not forgive him. I didn't have it in me. Even though I was preaching, I was talking about the forgiveness of God, I couldn't, thinking about my sister, thinking about the atrocity, thinking about his cruelty, I could not just let it go that easy. How many of us in our life have been hurt? You know, I, I know we probably can't compare, and some of us maybe can, with what Corey Timboon was experiencing at that moment. The pain, the heartache, the grief, the memories that came back and rushed upon her all at once. I can't even imagine. But there she was. And many times, there we are, feeling hurt, feeling injured, feeling angry because of hurts of our past, of our present, or maybe something that we, we have not even begun to deal with or recognize, dealt with or recognize. You know, Jesus talks about an individual in a parable that was also having a hard time forgiving. And before we open God's word, I'd like to have, to have just one more word of prayer. So if you'll bow your heads with me. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we explore your word today, as we continue this time of worship, as we take this time to seek your face, but recognizing that your word is alive and active, that your word is transformative, we pray that your word would not return void to you, but Lord, that would transform us and allow our hearts to, to worship you because of your goodness and your grace and your amazing, your amazing uh, power of who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I say, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is an interesting chapter of the Bible, the book of Matthew. Jesus is talking in response to his disciples who were arguing about who would be the greatest. And so Jesus here starts a a list of dichotomies, so to say, as he's describing different elements of his kingdom. He starts by saying, if you, want, if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to be successful or mature, you have to become like a child. We have to humble ourselves like children. He also says that in order to seek one lost sheep, he will leave the ninety-nine. He talks about various things that seem upside down as far as the kingdom and the ways of this world. But his kingdom was countercultural, and it still is today. But he moves into this parable on verse 21. And after Peter's hearing about forgiveness and about our brother sinning, which we'll deal with next week, verse 21, Peter says, as he came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
and he says up to seven times. We know Peter was, was trying to, to at least give a, a pretty decent number. You know, the same person, seven times, that's pretty good, right, Jesus? But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus puts a number here, 490, but, but he's really saying it doesn't matter how many times he's saying, Peter, we keep forgiving no matter how often, no matter how frequent, no matter if it's repeated, we keep forgiving. This is a difficult chapter, a difficult story. It's a difficult principle to deal with. Forgiveness is tough. Humanly, at times, it is impossible You may have been dealing with this. You may be dealing with this right now in your life. But Jesus delves right in with a parable to illustrate what he's saying to Peter and how God views forgiveness. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. You've heard different numbers here before. From what I understand, this was equivalent to about $3.5 billion, which is about 200,000 work weeks, about 60 million work days. In other words, it was an amount of money he would never, ever be able to repay. It was just astronomical. How he acquired the debt, we don't know, but it's a parable. Jesus was using a, a huge number to prove a point. And so... As he comes before the king, this huge amount that he was unable to pay, it says in verse 25, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children all that he had, that the payment might be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He says, give me more time. That's all I'm asking. Give me more time. The word that's used here in Hebrew is markathumeo, which, which simply means more time, be patient. That's all he was asking for. But it says here in verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion, and he releases him. Doesn't give him more time. He just cancels the debt. Can you imagine? $3.5 billion, an amount he could have never paid back, Boom, gone, forgiven, canceled. But then the story takes a turn. We see a twist in the story, a twist in the plot, because Jesus was communicating something very, very pertinent here. Verse 28 says, But that servant, the one who was just forgiven an amount he could have never paid, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, this is, uh, this is only about four months' wages, which is no chump change, but it was, it was nothing compared to what this man was, was forgiven. And he laid hands on him. He actually grabbed the guy, shook him by the throat, maybe picked him up by his, by his ankles and started trying to shake the money out of his pockets. I don't know. But he's going after this guy saying, give me my money. Pay me what you owe. This must have shocked the crowd hearing this story, especially after what Jesus just shared. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. Marcus the male, give me more time. Please, I'll pay you everything. And he would not, but went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. 
Then the master, after, uh, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have laid compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And here is where the story gets very real and visceral. And the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. That word torturers means jailer who inflicts the punishment of the law, the, the, the full retribution for what he deserved by the courts until he should pay all that was due to him. And now listen how Jesus finishes this. He says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. That is heavy. <laughs> There's questions that arise immediately from the story as we, as we read it. Immediately we think, why is Jesus saying this? Isn't God a God of compassion and grace? Then why does it end on such a strong, ungracious note? It seems harsh. Why would he use such terms, such a picture of our Heavenly Father, that he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Why would he use this illustration? Jesus used extreme language at times to prove an extreme and important point. And this is no different. And so the question as we read this story, for each one of us, is why does God look at forgiving others with such high importance. Why is it so important? Why does he use such, such an illustration to prove this point? We've been talking about renewing relationships in this series. This is the last portion. And I wanted to end with this because I believe that this is one thing in our lives that we have the, probably the hardest time with. Because it is such a challenge when we are hurt many times, to offer grace. Maybe you've experienced that from somebody else towards you, or maybe right now you're struggling with that towards somebody else. It's real. We're going to be real today. This is something we deal with. We're humans. We're sinful. We're broken. We're wounded. That's why Jesus calls us to be wounded healers, because he recognizes that we are broken, that we have issues. But the divine healer, the great physician, is all one who can also heal our hearts. Amen? And that is today what I believe God wants to do in each one of our lives. But here is the key. Here is why it's so important. Here is why Jesus tells this parable. And he uses such strong language because he has to get the point across. We will never be able to fully hold the hand of God until we are able to fully let go of the hurts of our past. We will never fully be able to hold the hand of God in his grace until we fully let go of the hurts of our past. We can't hold on to both. And Jesus knew this. And that's why he had to share the story. Today, we're going to look at the why and the what of forgiveness. Next week, we're going to finish with the when and the how. It's going to get very practical as well. So why do we forgive? What's the story telling us about forgiveness? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Beth, I'm not going to wrap this unless you guys drop a nice backbeat. I, I might try. Nah, I, that, that would be, uh, Beth, you did a great job, by the way. Thank you. But the Bible says in verse, four, uh, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking, be put away from you and with all malice. Paul speaking to the Ephesians church, the church in Ephesus. 
and they were having issues with anger, with, with backbiting, with, with lack of forgiveness. And so he's telling them, he says, this is what you need to have happen in your church, in this particular place where God is working. He says, let all this stuff be done away with, all these issues between you, the friction, the evil speaking, the backbiting, the, the gossip. He says, and be kind to one another in verse 32, tenderhearted, and, here, and here's the key. He says, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. I shared just, I think last week or the week before, that the words in, in Greek for forgiveness are aphemi and charisomai. This is the word charisomai, which is another word for grace, unmerited favor, undeserved. And so he's saying basically that we need to forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And he's using that term charisomai, which means freely, by grace, undeserved. He's basically saying that you forgive somebody even when they don't ask or deserve it. That's rough. It's hard enough when someone hurts us and even asks us for forgiveness. But what about those who don't even ask or don't deserve it? How do we deal with that? How do we approach this? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says, For all of sin fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We see a picture here from Paul's writing that we are all sinful. We've all fallen short. We're all like that debtor who owes an immeasurable debt that we cannot pay. The Bible says the wages or the payment, the penalty of sin is what? It's death, the ultimate price. That's it, a priceless thing you cannot pay back. We all deserve it. That's why he uses such strong language with, with large numbers and large figures. He's basically saying, you owe a debt because of sin that you cannot pay. And so what is the why of forgiveness? What is Jesus trying to communicate in this parable? The main theme is this. He says, because we have been forgiven, we must also forgive. If you want to wrap it in one statement, because we have been forgiven, we are also to forgive. That sounds simplistic maybe, but you've heard this before. A forgiven Christian is also a forgiving Christian. Forgiveness is a result of forgiveness. When we forgive others, it's because we recognize the grace of God towards us. The problem is when we don't have that grace towards others, it's usually because we don't recognize God's grace towards us individually. That's usually where we get the hang-up. And so what happens? Because, because we have this, this thing called, called, called anger and resentment, which destroys us, by the way, emotionally. It destroys relationships, not just the one you're angry at, but all around us. Those people are going to be affected by our anger and resentment. It's a prison that somehow we think by holding something against somebody, we are holding them hostage. And we use that to, to pay them back, to get revenge, whether it's not talking to them, whether it's giving them dirty looks, whether it's just, just not or saying unkind things to them. We do all sorts of stuff to try to make them feel what we felt because we're hurt, we're angry. But the problem is most of the time, the individuals that have hurt us and we're holding these things against, they don't, either don't know or they don't care. 
And so we're the ones who are there chained and, and suffering mostly because of what's been done to us and this feeling in our heart. In Southeast Asia, they have a, a way to, to catch monkeys there. I think they eat them. I'm not sure in, that, in this particular location. And so they, these, are, these are, I think they're spider monkeys. They're these ones that are tough to catch. But they realize these monkeys, they liked a certain seed from a certain gourd. And so they take these gourds here in this location, they're native to that area, and they cut a hole in the gourd. They kind of hollow it out, and they place these seeds inside the gourd. But they, they make the hole just big enough for the monkey to fit his hand in. You know where this is going, right? <laughs> but, but when they grab what's inside, they make a fist, and guess what? He can't get his hand out. The crazy thing about these monkeys is that time and time again, this whole species of monkey does the same thing. They reach in the gourd, they grab the seeds they want to eat, and they will not let go. They just they try to force the way out. They, they can't. They're stuck. They're, they're, they're caught. Because it's something precious to them. It's something that is of high value. And how often we like those monkeys— we grab onto something and maybe it's, maybe it's a grudge and we hold on to it tightly because somehow we feel this is going to make things feel better for us. But in doing so, we ourselves are trapped. We think we're trapping somebody else by having a tight grip on our anger towards them, but we ourselves are trapped. And it affects people around us because when we're hurt, we hurt other people. Have you noticed that? When we're hurting, when, when we're emotionally uh, going through stuff, it affects everybody around us. Hurt people actually hurt people. When we're hurting, we tend to hurt others. We come home, we had a bad day, somebody said something, we're angry at them, we kick the dog. Not me. I love my dog. You wouldn't do that either, I'm sure. The kids are making noise. Could you maybe be quiet? Start yelling at the kids, yelling at everybody. Our anger and resentment affects everybody around us. So why do we forgive? Because God has forgiven us, number one. But also, we need forgiveness. We desperately need forgiveness. Why do I say that? Not just because it affects other people around us, and to forgive others is a necessity of our hearts. But when we look at that whole dynamic, we, I believe that the world was created for love and grace from the very beginning. That was God's original design. And so the law of the Holy Spirit is the law of grace and love, which is the law that perpetuates life and wholeness. But the law of sin and death is one that's self-centered, is one that is opposite of God's law of love and grace, which leads to death, it leads to destruction, it leads to, to families being torn apart. We are made for grace. And so we desperately need it, whether we realize it or not. Ernest Hemingway, in his book, The Capital of the World, tells a story revolving around a young man named Paco. Paco lived in Spain. He, it's kind of like a prodigal son story. He, he leaves. He wants to be a bullfighter, a matador. And so he has dreams. So he leaves home. He's angry at his dad. He tries to get him to stay. Leaves in a horrible note, and he runs off to Madrid. And so he's there, and his dad, just like the dad in the prodigal son story, just can't forget about his son. He knows his son's angry. He left him a bad note. And so he travels to Madrid to find his son. And so the father goes to a local newspaper shop, and he puts a full-page ad in this newspaper. And it simply said, Paco. It said, 
Please come home. All is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper, at this newspaper office tomorrow. And as the story goes, as, as Paco shows up the newspaper station at the newspaper office, there were 800 other Pacos outside of the office. We desperately need and desire to be forgiven just as much as we need to forgive. We need healing in our hearts. We were designed for grace. And how important is it for us to offer it to each other? But also because God asks us to do it. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. It says, whenever you stand praying, this is when we're worshiping God, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. In other words, if we're praying to God and saying, Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness, and we realize we have something that we have against somebody else, that prayer doesn't make sense anymore. And so he's saying, if you realize you have something in your heart against somebody else, a grudge, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, what's he say? He says, just stop right there, put the pause button on your worship session, and go and find that individual and forgive him. Listen to this, it says that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. More strong language about forgiveness. And so the question then is asked, as we read these texts in the story, do we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others? Because that's how it sounds, doesn't it? It sounds like we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Is that the case? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what God's communicating to us today? We cannot ignore the direct relationship between God's forgiveness towards us and our forgiveness to others. That's clear in the Bible. But what does that mean? The Bible says in 1 John 4, 20, if someone says he loves God and hates his brother, it says he's a liar. If we, ha- if we hate our brother, we're angry. It says we're not telling the truth if we say we love God. Strong language again. But to answer these questions, we go back to the story. Because I think there's something very important that sometimes we miss in the story. This poor servant from Jesus' parable missed something. He missed something very important, the most important aspect of the whole scenario. This one who was forgiven this immeasurable sum, for some odd reason, never heard, never understood the fact that this king forgave him everything. Sometimes we kind of gloss over that, but for some reason, it's evident in the story that this servant did not understand, accept it, realize it, and that's the problem. That's what Jesus is communicating. Somehow this servant, instead of being forgiven, just thought he was given more time. Said he would go out from the king at that point, and instead of basking in the grace of this king, the forgiveness, he goes out with the hidden tormentors of resentment, guilt, striving, and anxiety. He thought he still had to pay. He had to still work off this debt and even collect debts from others. And that's what happens to us. When we fail to recognize God's grace in our lives, we go and become debt collectors as well. Because when somebody messes up against us or sins against us, we hold that against them as a debt. They owe us something. They've taken something from us, and now they owe us. And so we spend all of our energy, all of our time, all of our resentment and anger to try to collect that debt from them however we can. 
Sometimes we become professional debt collectors in that regard. He thought he was still under the sentence of the king, of his debtor, when the reality was he was fully forgiven but didn't even realize it. That's why he goes to his fellow servant, because he still thought he had to work off the debt. It's the same thing that happens to us. When God extends his grace towards us, many times it sounds too good to be true, or we just have not accepted or or recognized it. Maybe we've heard it, we'd say, yeah, yeah, God saved us by grace, but then when it comes to the reality of understanding and living it, it doesn't ring true. But Jesus is saying if we truly have received and understand God's forgiving grace, which is immeasurable, which is beyond what we can even imagine or ever pay back, that the natural response will be that we too are forgiving. The grace of God produces grace in us. Amen? The grace of God towards us produces His grace in us. It's not about you. It's not about having resolve or or somehow pulling your stuff together and trying to, to feel different about somebody. It's the grace of God that transforms us. It is His goodness that draws us to repentance. It is His grace and love that changes our hearts. And that's what Jesus is sharing time and time again. But instead, many times the unforgiven are the unforgiving, the unaccepted are the unaccepting, and the ungraced are the ungracious. And we all fall into those categories sometimes in our life. That's why Alexander Pope says to err is human. But to forgive is what? It's divine because it's beyond us. Only God can produce that in our hearts. It's not about you. It's about the grace of God, his unmerited, undeserved favor towards you. And we recognize what that means, what we owe God, but he's forgiven us freely with no questions asked. Then we can no longer hold against somebody else something that they've done because of the great debt we've been forgiven. That's the whole idea. That's the whole concept Jesus is trying to bring home to the hearts of them and to us today. So what is forgiveness? Real quick. Forgiveness is not a few things. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Because if you wait till you feel like you want to forgive, you're never going to forgive. God's grace is extended to you. It's working in you. But many times if we think about the emotions connected with the, the trespass against us, those feelings will well up again. And we wait for the feeling to come, but it might never come. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's not forgetting either, because forgetting is passive. It's accidental. It's a choice to actually active do this, actively do this. That's why God says in Hebrews 8, 12, I will, I will remember your sins no more. He says, I will not. Not that he's going to forget by accident. He chooses not to remember our sins. Forgiveness is a choice. But also, it's not excusing. Saying that's okay implies that the offense was not wrong. It, it identifies that there's something real that happened. We were hurt. But it indicates that even though we were hurt and it's real, we still are choosing to take a step towards reconciliation. It's not just brushing under the rug. It's not avoiding it. It's dealing with it. So what is forgiveness? It comes down to this. Forgiveness is simply canceling a debt. God's forgiveness towards us, as he has forgiven us in Christ Jesus, he's canceled our debt from his standpoint, as we said before, 
He was in Christ, reconciling us to himself, not counting our sins against us, even before we were born, before we even did them. His heart towards us is full of grace and forgiveness. He's not looking at you with his angry eyes saying, you messed up. You better shape up. You better earn my trust back and my love back for you. He's not doing that. His heart towards you is love and grace. And he's seeking for you to come to him. That's his posture. It is always bent towards us, trying to woo us with his cords of love. When somebody wrongs us, we might feel like they owe us something. When we forgive them, we simply release them from their debt. This past week, I'm ashamed to say I got a speeding ticket. Yeah. Hey, can I have a witness? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> don't, don't leave me hanging. Don't leave me feel alone here. Uh, yeah, I got to speed. It's been a long time. No excuse. But man, I, I was coming down Altamont. This is going to sound like an excuse. I was coming down a hill. <laughs> I had my dog with me from the groomer, and he was making, he was barking and stuff, distracting me. That's an excuse. <laughs> my son was there talking to me. Excuse. Anyway, I was coming down the hill, and I see this individual just standing out there waving people over. I thought there was like an emergency. There's no emergency. I was the problem, along with five other people, just waving them over. And then cars were flying by us. I was like, wait, what about them? I guess they could only fit four cars there, and I was one of them. So I stopped there. I, I, by that point, I realized what happened. I must have been going fast. I had no clue. And so I'm waiting there. They deal with the three other cars in front of me. Finally get back to me. And you know how it goes. License registration. Do you know why I stopped you? I said, I really don't. And uh, I figured it was speeding, but I really didn't know it was speeding. I was being honest. I said, I, I don't. What happened? He goes, well, you, you were speeding. He goes, As a matter of fact, he said, you were going almost 20 miles per hour over the speed limit. Down this, down this hill. <laughs> and he said, he said, listen, this is after he went back to his car for about 15, 20 minutes to make me nervous. He comes back, and you know, during that 15, 20 minutes, you're thinking a lot. What's going to happen? What's this, what's, what's, what are they going to hand me when he comes back? And I'm thinking, oh, I'm preaching about forgiveness this week. This would be a great opportunity for a good sermon illustration <laughs> if he lets me go. You start, like, thinking all these different things. So I've been let go before. This might be another one of those times. I was getting excited. Oh, God's going to do something here. He comes back to the window. He says, listen. He said, I could give you a $300 fine. I was like, whew. He said, but I won't. He said, instead, because you have a good driving record, I'm just going to give you 130 Better than 300 130 I went, Okay, it just kind of took the edge off for me. I was like, okay. Do you ever notice some, I don't know if you do this. I say, well, thank you, officer. Why did I thank him? I don't know. <laughs> I always say thank you when they leave the car. I don't know why I say thank you. I wasn't very thankful for the ticket. But he walks away, and, and there, I'm, there, there I'm sitting. As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about a lot of stuff. Not just how it's going to fit in the sermon, by the way. Don't worry. But it did remind me of one thing, that how we how we sometimes react. You know, many times we put what I call ifs and untils in our forgiveness. We might 
say, I forgive you, but only if. Or I won't forgive you until. Which is totally opposite of how God in Christ has forgiven us. A lot of times we extend a, a little bit of a break. Well, you've been a good behavior recently. They said I had a good driving record, so he reduced it a little bit. He said, but many times we go to somebody else, well, you're doing okay, but still, I'm, I, need to, I need to hold this against you until you learn your lesson. And so we still hold a portion of it. But when we look at God's grace, it is not like us. It is full, it is free, it is unreserved. It doesn't have ifs or untils. It always says yes. We'll wrap it up. Corey Tenboom. The hand was extended to this guard, this cruel, this cruel man at whose hands her sister basically died and many of her friends. And he's standing there and she could not forgive him. But suddenly as she's standing there, in her mind she keeps replaying what she was just saying, that God had forgiven us. How could she stand there? And she was fighting for what it seemed like an eternity, she says. And then she says, I knew that forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of temperature of the heart. And so she just simply said, Jesus, help me. She prayed. And she reached out her hand to that former guard. And she says, something incredible took place. She says, what she felt was, was probably not a physical thing, but a, a current in her body that sprang to her joints and hands, a warmth in her soul that flooded her whole being and brought her to tears. And she looked at this guy in the eyes, her captor, her persecutor, the killer of her sister, and says, I forgive you, brother. Called him brother. She says, she cried with all, with all my heart. But she said, I've never known love so intensely as I did at that moment. But even then, she says, I realized it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us may be going through our own personal times like this. But I'm here to declare, no matter what you've been going through, no matter how badly you've been hurt, it may be hurts from your past, hurts from your childhood, and we all have those. Maybe we're having a hard time forgiving our parents for certain things or, or people who've, who've wronged us or bullied us. Whatever it might be in our life, we hold on to stuff. But one thing I've realized in my life that it's like a tug of war. I can sit there and tug on the other end of the rope against somebody else, even whether they know it or not, I'm tugging. That's why it's called a tug of war. But as soon as I let go, the war's over. And don't let go too quickly because that's how we make them fall backwards and that's not good either. But when we let go and we place in the hands of Jesus, he takes over the battle. So no matter what we're dealing with today, the hurts, the pains, the struggles, let Jesus take over. Let his grace encompass you. Be reminded of what he's done on your behalf and my behalf. The grace he's extended us and we're all sinners. We're all messed up and God loved us anyway. And let that heal your heart, but also be the connecting point of your heart to those who have hurt you and I. So I just have an assignment this week. This week, every single morning, if you would, Spend at least two to three minutes 
recounting God's grace in your life towards you. Recounting how great of sinners we are. And if we're, we say we're not, then we're, we're blinded. How great of sinners we are and how great of a Savior God is. And how amazing His grace is in our life. And let the healing wave of Jesus' love begin to flow over you and bring healing and forgiveness today. Amen. And our last song is going to be Speak, O Lord. Please join us in singing.
church is good and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we close. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for who you are. When you declared yourself to Moses, you declared your name and your glory as grace and mercy. We thank you so much that your justice is even encompassed with your mercy. Lord, and you extend that to us freely. And so, Lord, as we have been speaking today, as we've been looking into our hearts and the pain and the heartache and the hurt we have, we pray that that grace would encompass us, would empower us, would change us, that we could also be gracious to each other. But we thank you for your goodness. We praise you for all that you are. And Father, all that you have shared and revealed about yourself to us through your word. And Lord, may we this week grow more and more in that knowledge and more and more like Jesus. We thank you. In his powerful name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. As a reminder, we'll have elders up front if you'd like to have special prayer, if you have a special need. There'll be a couple of elders up front for you to come forward and have special prayer with you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. We'll see you soon.